Dear viewers of Good Investing Talks, it's great to have you back uh, for the second part of our interview with Chris Sai from the new home studio. Uh, if you missed the episode, you find it on the YouTube channel or in your podcast player. Um, in this episode, we want to talk about role models. And Chris, um, we have two <laughs> investor role models sitting on your left and your right. It's Warren and Charlie, for sure, that are role models for a lot of investors. But we also want to introduce um, two other figures from your family that formed you. One is your father and one is your grandmother. Can you introduce both to us? You can pick who's first. We'll start chronologically. Um, my grandmother's name was Ruth, um, Ruth Sai. She was a, an incredible lady. I wish I had more time with her, uh, but I did uh, spend a lot of time with her growing up. She was a real pioneer for women in China at her time. She was the first woman to trade on the floor of the Shanghai Stock Exchange, which is pretty cool. So this was from uh, 1939 until 1941. She found an opening um, and she, from what I understand, made a killing trading stocks on that exchange. In December 1941, uh, Japanese troops invaded what was called the Shanghai International Settlement and trading was abruptly halted at that time. So she had a good, uh, good two and a half, three years on the floor. She was also not only a pioneer for women in China, but she was a really, really feisty lady. I'll just give you an example, Tillman. Um, they had, uh, my, 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 my uh, grandmother and grandfather had a, a small country property. Uh, and one evening she gets a knock on the door from the communist authorities. And they say to her that uh, she has you know, a short period of time to uh, vacate the land, that the land was being confiscated. The most valuable part of land, incidentally, was the topsoil. So what did Grandma Ruth do? Well, she didn't put up a fight. She said, when do I need to vacate by? And then the night before, she hired a bunch of guys to strip the topsoil off of the land, which was the most valuable part, and she sold it. So she was truly a capitalist, and she left. Um, my father got a lot of that kind of feisty mentality and attitude from her, but she was also great with people, dealing with people. So she had this expression. She had a lot of great expressions, but one of them was, why be a uh, square table when you can be around one? And what she said, what, what she meant by that was that, um, you know, why, why, why make people upset about something if, that, if that's not necessary? She intuitively understood Dale Carnegie, who's been a role model to Warren Buffett, who's been a role model to me, and who's been, I'm sure, a role model to so many people in the good investing community. She passed on that kind of um, sensibility, that kindness to my father. My father was amazing dealing with people. He would not have been able to build up his career without that kind of sensibility. 
you could be in a room of 100 people and he would make you feel like you're the only one in that room. I think that's one of the main reasons he wound up being so successful in building businesses. It's one of the main reasons he was so successful in deal making, eventually becoming the CEO of a Dow Jones 30 company and later on in life spending a lot more time dealing with philanthropy and, and people again in, in, in different ways. So Grandma Ruth and my father were certainly role models. Uh, my father always pushed this idea of like perseverance and being your best. He said to me and my sister when we were both young, you know, he didn't care what we did in life as, as long as we, we gave it our very, very best. So that's how I think about um, how that's how I think about my life and, and again this idea of Kaizen and continuous improvement um, this idea of trying to always be your best and dealing with people in a kind and respectful manner and the last uh, the last person uh, that I want to mention is the late Fred Rogers so but let's maybe stick yeah. with the family uh, because you told the interesting and the good story about the family right mm -hmm. now and like what I learned that family is also can be or a darker place I wouldn't call it a dark place and you have struggles and pains with your family and these are also important to build yourself and your firm because your father has this large footprint with uh, building a huge asset management firm how have these struggles and this this conflicts in your family helped you to be who you are and also to build Psy Capital in the way you've built it? Yeah, so, you know, when I decided to go into money management, uh, I told my father I was launching a business and he said that that's great, uh, but you're on your own. So unlike a lot of other investors who have had, uh, you know, large, larger than life figures in, in, the, in that field, uh, my father never backed um, side capital. My mother actually did. Uh, my mother gave uh, me a small amount of money to launch the business. I think it was about a million dollars at the time. And the other two million I raised from local business people that I knew growing up in Greenwich, Connecticut. So we launched with three million dollars. Uh, and from that moment, uh, it's been a constant. Uh, uh, it's, it's been a constant struggle in terms of building the business but it's also been extremely rewarding. Over time, I've come to realize, at least for me, that happiness comes through the overcoming of struggle. Um, I think that if you're given something too easily, that there's um, less happiness associated with that success. At least that's how it feels with me. And so we are now, as you mentioned, over 20 years in business. And now clients come to us and I realize that that is not something that just happened automatically. Most of our clients come to us through referrals. That's not something that happened automatically. That's something that has happened over years and years and years of building not only a performance track record, but building a certain reputation in terms of how we manage money, how we treat clients. Um, so that to me is a huge, huge sense of joy. Uh, and I'm sure it's to a lot of your fellow, a lot of the fellow investors in, in this community. And being able to have clients recognize you and come to you is, is a truly rewarding experience. So 
to make it clear what you've just said. Your father didn't fund you. He rather turned you away and you had to build all this you have with the firm. I think you have 100 million in assets at the moment yourself. Yeah, and in my, my father, um, like I said, uh, didn't, didn't back me at all. Uh, my mother put in a million dollars. Uh, the other two million dollars I raised. Uh, actually, when I was 16 years old, I started managing money informally. So what I did was I knew I wanted to manage money from a very early age. And when I was 16, I felt like it was the right time. There was a um, Chinese restaurant in Greenwich, Connecticut called Lotus East, and it was run by this really wonderful man called, his name was Johnny Chang. And I would go to Lotus East as much as I could to have his orange beef, which was my very, very favorite dish. And Johnny, like many Chinese, loved to gamble and they loved to play, you know, in the stock market. So we had many, many conversations about uh, the market in, in stocks, and I eventually convinced him that's not the way to make money. It's not you're not going to make money buying and selling all the time. You need to think long term. Eventually, after many many conversations, uh, it's effectively marketing, right? Uh, I convinced him to give me four hundred thousand. It was his entire life savings, and fortunately, it did very well for him. So he really became one of my first clients. I convinced another local. Um, uh, businessmen to give me capital. So in total, I raised, when I launched Side Capital, I pulled together two million from these relationships that, that I developed, a million from my mother. So we launched with three million and my father did not contribute any capital. So it's been a, um, it's been a struggle building that. And as we know, how compounding works, compounding not in terms, just in terms of building goodwill, but compounding in terms of, of, of building capital, it takes time. And it's about laying a foundation, building a network, building a reputation. And now it's you know, 20 plus years. And as I said, clients come to us now, but that was not the case until let's say maybe five to, five to eight years ago clients started coming to us. So we're talking about more than 15 years of laying that foundation, building a network before we kind of got organic growth. How much time took it to build the, the firm to a level that you could also invite friends for the beef you just mentioned, the beef you like because you also have to get an income from the firm? Well, the nice thing about the asset management business is that it's it's scalable and um, it didn't actually take long for me to be able to invite friends to dinner, call it five years. Um, and I have always run Psy Capital with a sh extremely lean infrastructure. Um, I started the business out of my apartment. Uh, I have moved into an office building only maybe three years later, and we've been in office building, different office buildings, uh, uh, one on Park Avenue, we were in the Chrysler building, we're now in 590 Madison Avenue. You know, we've been in different office buildings ever since, but in all cases, I've had a very, very basic office, and that's all I need. And I feel like this, you know, having a small office is all we need 
in terms of running the company. And because so much of the functions of Psy Capital, so much of the, 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 the back end, the administration, the, you know, the accounting, the compliance, the legal, that's all done by other people. I've outsourced all of it. So there's over a dozen people working on the Psy Capital business constantly. There are, so there are a lot of people involved uh, that are not seen um, from the, from, as I said, from, from our legal and compliance, who I'm in touch with probably every week. Uh, they're all working on Psy Capital, uh, but they're not in the office. And, we don't need to be. And interestingly, like post-COVID, the world has actually moved that way. Just coincidentally, we've operated with a very remote kind of structure from the very beginning. And that was done as, as a result of necessity, really, um, running the business in a lean manner so it could be profitable with $3 million in AUM or $5 million in AUM, whatever the number was at the time, to, to hit profitability. Um, so we've operated with that kind of uh, remote structure pre-COVID. We don't want to bore the audience with too much talks about building the investment business in this way. So if you're interested in this special topic, please apply to my community, Good Investing Plus, via the link below. We are also covering this topic in details. And uh, the good thing is it's interactive. So if you're building an investment business, you could ask questions. But let me maybe ask a follow-up question on your father. He not only turned you away when uh, you asked for funding and you started your business, but he also turned you away because uh, you made public that you're gay. And uh, this was a point where you just stopped talking to each other for seven years. Uh, how did this, how did you manage with this? Well, it's, it's definitely character building because when your parent, one of your parents refuses to speak with you, uh, it's not it's not the best feeling in the world, right? Um, but it also helps you to form your own identity, and it happened to coincide with the same moment that I launched, or roughly very close to the same moment I had launched the business. So it really helped me to focus and forced me to focus on uh, just making sure that it was a success. Because probably uh, uh, thinking about it now and thinking about it. Um, live with you and your viewer, your viewers. I probably wanted to prove to my father that I could build something successful. Um, so I was very focused on making sure that that happened. The good outcome is of this of your relationships is that after seven years you started talking again to each other and came up with like he became a kind of like more helpful to you and advise you on building. Yes, so uh, roughly seven years. It might have been six, it might have been eight. I, I, I'd have to look through letters and diaries to figure out exactly when, but it was roughly seven years. Uh, um, so it coincided with my marriage in, uh, in 2005, which actually took place here in, in Berlin. Um, so I invited my father to the wedding and his goddaughter convinced him to go. And so our relationship rekindled uh, around that 2000, around, around the summer of 2005. And we became extremely close uh, till to, to his passing in 2008. Uh, so I had three really solid years with him. Uh, during those three years, he was an amazing mentor of mine. 
Um, I actually started out working with him as a teenager, so I, I did um, effectively an internship with him. Uh, I helped with uh, a lot of the business that was going on that he was, he was handling for his uh, philanthropic um, organization. And I learned a lot about looking at companies and um, thinking about businesses and hearing from him really like how not to think about companies. That's the, uh, that's the um, it's important to think about inversion, right? You, we've, got, we've got Charlie over here. Charlie always talks about Carl Jacoby and in, in, inversion. Um, so my father taught me a lot about uh, what not to do which was super helpful in terms of building um, the portfolio that we have today. Your father became a mentor, but he also, you decided to not do things he did. Uh, where did you make it differently outside of building your whole own thing as well, a firm? Well, I decided that one marriage is better than four. <laughs> so I focused a lot on, on, on marriage. I mean, I've, I've, I, I think that you know, having the stability within family having very strong relationships with children. I have two daughters who are now 13 and they're amazing children, uh, so smart and so so curious, uh, so kind. And, you know, having a strong relationship with your children, having a strong relationship with your partner, um, that's super important uh, to building a business and having a good track record because think of all of the distractions, right, you would have if you're involved in separation or divorce or conflict with your children. I mean, that can't be good. So uh, Peter Kaufman has also been in many ways a men mentor to me and in many ways, I'm sure mentor to a lot of people within your good investing community. He has this, um, he put together this piece called One Ladder and he talks about seven, um, seven steps of the ladder. The problem is that most people think about getting to the first step and then to the second and to the third. In other words, let me focus on building a career first and then I'll spend more time or will be able to spend more time here. Then once I get here, let me think about getting here because I'll be able to be in a position to get to the next ladder, the next step of the ladder. The problem with that, and Peter Kaufman lays this out in his, uh, his one ladder presentation, is that uh, a lot of this is multiplicative. So he talks about health, he talks about um, family, friends, career, spirituality, hobbies, right? He talks about seven elements of the ladder and how everything works together. So I've tried to live my life uh, focusing on these areas and health being really number one because health is multiplicative. If health goes to zero, um, everything kind of goes to zero. But just like right next to your own health, you have to take care of yourself first. It has to be your family, to me. So I focused a lot on family and making sure I had those, that I have strong relationships with, with family. It's time for a quick advertisement. Here we go. Are you looking for a beautiful and efficient way to analyze stocks? Then please check out what my friends at Stratosphere are building. They've built a great tool to visualize data to get ideas about ownership of stocks and many more information that's helpful in your analysis process. You can find that tool via the link below and feel free to sign up, it's free. Thank you for your attention. And now Edward Tillman, Ende. For the investor role models, uh, it's obvious that Warren and Charlie 
are uh, role models for you? Which other investors have influenced you in an interesting or positive or sometimes even negative way? Yeah, so I want to mention two role models. One, not in investing, and one directly in investing because they come together to help build a business, at least for me. So on the non-investing side, um, there was a person named Fred Rogers, who many of you will know and many of you will not know. Uh, Fred Rogers was an author, um, a Presbyterian minister, but most, most well known as a, um, a TV host for an American show called Mr. Rogers' Neighborhood, which first aired in 1968. Um, and Fred Rogers uh, is, was, was an amazing person. Um, he was such a kind person. And he said that there are three ways to ultimate success. The first is to be kind. The second is to be kind. And the third is to be kind. That is such a simple way to go about life. Uh, and it is so fulfilling to go about life with kindness, like in your heart. And, and you will always come across people who are not kind and that's fine. But the point is that you kind of become, there's this expression like you are what you eat. I think that you are also how you behave. Over time, if you behave kind, it reflects in, in, on yourself and you internalize it. So that's how I think about life. And that's how I think about interaction with clients in building a business in the whole side capital ecosystem the service providers the the clients um, everybody who is involved one way or another um, you want to deal with them talk with them be with them with respect and kindness uh, the other the other um, person who has been really influential to me on the investing side is ron Barron who has taught me about um, culture and people. We, we spoke about people and culture earl earlier and how important that is to get an understanding of how companies are run and managed. Um, he actually has a similar investing philosophy that my father had. Um, both, both Ron and my father were not um, we're not shy about looking at growth companies just because the valuation appeared on the surface expensive. And I think that a lot of value investors, and I consider myself a value investor, um, a lot of value investors um, will, see, let's, will see a company that has a, a, a 50 price earnings ratio and they will not even do the work. They will just put it in the, you know, they'll throw it in the garbage pile. But the problem is everybody is screening for low PE ratios, so all of the great companies are already uncovered. Often companies sell for high, high or seemingly high multiples because they are reinvesting in their business today in order to build a higher intrinsic value later. They don't screen well. When we bought Tesla uh, in February of 2020, Tesla's um, price earnings ratio was roughly, roughly 200. But it was 200 because the company was reinvesting so much. And since that time, the multiple has come down significantly um, because the business has now grown. So it's important in, 
in the in the journey in the discovery of uncovering um, the next Tesla, the next Amazon, uh, that one does deep work and doesn't dismiss a company just because on the surface it has a seemingly high valuation. And my father understood that and Ron Barron understands that. And so both of them have been hugely influential to me for different reasons, but on this topic for the same reason. What kind of uh, companies your father did invest with this kind of framework? Do you have examples on this? Yeah, uh, I mean, his investments are well publicized. I mean, he invested in companies like Polaroid, um, businesses that were very early. In some cases, for me, way too early in their, in their trajectory. But the, the wonderful thing about investing in growth companies is that there's so much asymmetry. So when you, have, when you have uncovered something and you got the story right, you got the thesis right, we're talking about being able to make multiples of your money on that investment. And so it's super important that um, one does actually hold on to that investment for the long term in order to accrue all of the benefits of being right in the beginning. My father was much more short-term oriented than I am, and I learned that that was, not, uh, an, that was not an approach that resonated with me. But we did think about businesses in a very similar way. We thought about companies that were uh, um, building um, scalable technologies, build businesses that were innovative, and businesses that were run by incredible leaders and skilled capital allocators. You like these companies that reinvest and therefore shine, shine expensive. And maybe as a last question, how do you think about reinvesting in your business? What is the framework to this as an investor with an investing business? How do you decide about capital allocation? What are you trying out? Do you have an experimental budget for doing things you don't know where the outcome comes? Tell me. Yeah, so reinvestment in terms of this in terms of one's own business to me manifests itself in in two forms one is in capital and one is in time and sometimes those two go together the first one capital um, for for us it's about investing in the infrastructure of the business making sure we have the right um, we have the, the top compliance in place. We have the top portfolio accounting in place. These things all cost money. We use uh, one of the leading portfolio management softwares called Black Diamond. It's all cloud-based now. It's, it's an extremely great system to help us manage the, um, manage the portfolios. Um, so the infrastructure that you don't see, that clients don't see, is something that we're continuously investing in. Um, thousands of dollars every year in terms of the technology that's behind that. Uh, of course, we're investing in brand and in, in, in the brand and and in getting our story out to um, people that might benefit from our services and people where there is that alignment that we spoke about earlier. That that is uh, that is costly. Um, networking is uh, is about building. You know. Building a business is, is also about networking. So um, for people who are in, in the very early stages of building a business, I highly recommend um, 
you know, taking part in some of these conferences where, where there are high quality investors, but there's so many wonderful conferences and just going to Berkshire, right? Your, your incredible um, events that you host in, 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 in Omaha every year uh, through good investing is certainly like, that's where you're making these relationships, but it costs money, right? Be it hotel, be it flights, be it whatever it is, uh, membership fees, whatever it is, it costs money. And so that's the capital part and that connects with time. So as a money manager, it's super important not to get distracted to the point where it's infringing upon um, your ability to do research and do what you're supposed to be doing, which is, you know, investing money for clients. So I'm very careful in terms of what what I do to make sure that um, somehow there's a benefit to the underlying investors. So these conferences for me have been so wonderful in the sense that they are um, ways for us to bounce ideas off of other smart investors, to hear the opposite side of our thesis, right? To hear the short argument against a company that we might be invested in or might want to invest in. So being able to have that exposure is a, is an investment that is that is um, to me like a necessity. Thanks for mentioning our OMA activities. We are planning them next year again, and uh, we're happy to have emerging managers with us. So please apply to the community where things are run through. And thank you very much for your time, Chris. Uh, thanks for coming, and uh, thanks for being the first guest in my studio. Thank you. Thanks for having me, Tomen. And bye-bye to the audience. Bye-bye. Good investing.